Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Episode 60. This week, we have a almost full house. Uh, it's myself, Michael, uh, Mark, and Gladys. Sarah might be able to make it. She's actually stuck in a traffic jam right now in New Zealand. And if any of you know New Zealand roads, yeah, if you're stuck in a traffic jam, you are stuck in a traffic jam. There's probably no way, uh, no way around. Uh, we also have a guest this week. We have Safina Begum, who's here to talk to us about Microsoft Defender for Cloud and some of the stuff that we frankly haven't talked about uh, when talking about Defender for Cloud in the, in the past. But before we get to Safina, why don't we take a quick lap around the news? Um, Gladys, why don't you kick things off? Yes, uh, hello everyone. Uh, it's good to be back. Um, there is so much that has happened uh, the last two months uh, that has been difficult to select uh, what to talk about as part of the news. Um, we are working on the development of SC100, which we had talked before in this podcast. Uh, everyone, uh, Sarah, uh, Michael, Sarah, uh, Mark, um, have been uh, collaborating and giving ideas uh, to improve this certification. So uh, it's been an awesome learning experience. Uh, this is the first time that I have done something like that. In addition, we are also collaborating in a book uh, for SC100. I did not realize how much work this takes. Uh, uh, hats to you, uh, Mark, uh, when you're creating presentation and videos. Oh, my God, this takes a long time. Thank God I'm getting a lot of feedback from the team, from Yuri, uh, how to make it better. Uh, so it's been fantastic uh, starting this. Uh, I know that Michael also ha have been writing books. Oh, my God. I don't know how you guys do it, but uh, hats off uh, to you guys. Before talking um, about the news, uh, first I want to talk about a new name that we introduced, uh, Microsoft Entra. Uh, Microsoft Entra is a, a unification of, of set of services uh, that focus on identity and access management. This include Microsoft Entra uh, Azure AD, my, uh, Microsoft Entra Permission Management, uh, which is uh, what we call before CloudNox, and Microsoft Entra Verified ID, uh, which is our implementation of uh, decentralized credential. And this is the news that I wanted to share, a uh, verified ID. I, I'm really excited about the work that we are uh, doing with this. Um, if you're not familiar uh, uh, with this, um, let me give you a quick background. Organizations always uh, want to try to centralize identity in a way that makes it more manageable for them. But that leads to some gap with users. Uh, they don't have control or much visibility uh, on, of their own identities. So this is a capability of um, uh, the users uh, having a little bit more control of what is shared and what they uh, get. Um, the common comparison is like um, a driver's license. Uh, you use the driver's license to authenticate yourself against banks, colleges, and things like that. Well, this verifiable ID or verified ID um, will basically act in a similar manner. Um, the blog that was released recently, and we're putting the link, basically is talking about uh, new releases and in, 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 uh, different uh, capabilities that we're developing uh, with verifiable uh, credentials. Uh, the first one is 
you have to use authenticator app in order to uh, store uh, uh, this credential. In the past, there were no way to back up and restore uh, this verifiable credential. Well, now there is a, a way to uh, back it up. In addition, there's a, they have released a API for developers and administrators. I recommend reviewing the um, documentation because there's quite a bit uh, that is being released and the roadmap uh, forward is uh, certainly exciting. I also want to talk about Microsoft Defender uh, Threat Intelligence, formerly RiskIQ. Basically, it is a way to track threat actor activity and patterns. Uh, we just released uh, this uh, recently. I'm providing a link for the blog as well. And last, uh, in mid-July, uh, we had our Inspire conference. Uh, this is usually our partner uh, conference, uh, but there were a lot of announcements made. Um, and I'm really excited about a summary or a section that session that uh, Satya had where he spoke about many of these uh, capabilities uh, that we are releasing. I was especially excited uh, about him mentioning Azure Space and Azure Orbital, uh, which is uh, something that I've been collaborating um, uh, to, to improve the security for. Um, so I recommend if you uh, miss Inspire, just go to the link provided in the podcast and uh, watch the sessions. There's quite a bit of information in there. I definitely want to uh, echo what Gladys said: is that writing um, and you know creating and all this stuff is is actually quite a bit of hard work. And and that's kind of the theme because you know I don't have any specific like uh, news items on this, but I, I did have some interesting observations. Um, the CISO workshop just uh, recently went out, and so now I can kind of talk about it a little bit more in the architecture design session that we're we're building. Um, to follow it. And, you know, one of the things as I was going through this, because, you know, we basically had to des design a reference program, reference strategy, reference architectures, reference implementation plans, you know, across all of security is, is really the undertaking that we're doing here so that folks have a comparison point or a starting point uh, for their own planning. And, like, one of the things that really struck me as we went through it is just how hard cybersecurity is. And it's not just, you know, you know, straight up hard work, right? And there's long hours and it's tough and it's a little bit of a newer discipline in the in the uh, in the realm of like human studies of, you know, psychology and and war and sociology and science and all those kind of things that we've been doing for like centuries and millennia as as a human race. But it's it's actually there's there's a lot of things about it that are just innately difficult at least right now. Like, you know, we were looking at, okay, how do we map in the business outcomes of cybersecurity to the defenses and, and all these initiatives that, you know, you have to put in to like defend against it, prevent and, and, and detect, respond, recover. And they don't map cleanly. They're not like one-to-one -one mapping or one-to-one -one mapping. You do this one thing and you get six things back or you take six things, you get one thing back. They're all like many-to-many -many mappings. You know, just like we're looking at the space of privileged access as a small example, and you have to face things like phishing attacks and lateral traversal and, you know, and all, all the forms of credential theft and all those kind of things. And then you have all these different defenses that map in, you know, privileged workstations and all these other kind of detections and response and, and, and pieces, but they all kind of influence all the different kinds of attacks. And then the business outcomes you get from that are not always clear. 
these are the right things to do, the most important things to do on the attack, but they all contribute to a bunch of different types of, you know, these things are much safer. You have visibility across your environment, et cetera. I mean, it's just a, it's just a really complex space and it makes it very hard to relate it to other people and to do your own sort of internal planning. So that's just like one of the things that I picked up as I was kind of going through this and trying to organize and, and put it together and you know work with you know, all the smart people at Microsoft to have access to industry, et cetera. And it was just it just struck me that like this is a hard job. And on top of that, when you, especially you look at like the CISO program level, but you know, to a degree the technical jobs as well, is you know, it crosses the lines and you you have to interact with legal and communications and it's got psychological elements. You're trying to influence people's behavior for, you know, anti-fish testing and whatnot, which is not a technical problem. It's a human problem. Um, and you got politics coming into it with, with all the stuff going on because, you know, how many cyber attacks are starting to become influenced by geopolitical events. And then you got criminal justice, specifically extradition across borders that plays a part. You know, a business management of the people that you're working with to try and get the goals of what's most important out of them. I mean, it's just it's just amazing to me how hard this discipline is. So that's that was just uh, some observations I made as as we're kind of going through this process, and I was just struck by when did you become a philosopher? I've been one for a while. I just kind of hide it most of the time. <laughs> you bring up an important point, though. I mean, I mean, you know, when we get new employees and. You know, some of them say, "Hey, you know, I really want to get into cybersecurity." I mean, my first response is, "You know, okay, what part of cybersecurity?" I mean, it's a massive, massive area. I mean, I've just been putting a blog post together just just over the last uh, couple of days, and and you're right. You know, that even though I'm the author of the blog post, you know, I've had to involve the developers, I've had to involve the program managers, I've had to involve legal, not for any legal reason, but you know. There are legal implications with some of the stuff that I'm writing. Um, same with uh, the marketing people, and the, you know, the sort of communications folks, right? Just to make sure that you know the right things are being said correctly and being done correctly. Um, and then you know, there's code level issues, there's design level issues, there's deployment issues, and that may not be one single person, right? There could be a lot of different people, all with different skills, who know their their area exceedingly well. In some cases, there's you've just got to start pulling in more and more people, and they may have different agendas. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and even the technical parts of it, like the difference between being a reverse engineer versus an architect versus a, a network expert versus an identity and access expert, like those are all completely self-sustained, huge, complex disciplines among themselves. Well, th- and and even that's an interesting point because you know in our group in the Azure Data Platform, we. Uh, we hired a whole bunch of people just uh, just recently, and uh, I was on I think just about all the interview loops except one that I recused myself because I actually know the person really well. What was interesting is how many of all the interviewees that I had um, were exceptional, but it was interesting. Probably about half of them, because of the nature of cybersecurity, they were definitely a, a strong Microsoft hire for Microsoft in a different part of cybersecurity. Because mm. it's because their skills map onto a different area that you know isn't the sort of stuff that we were doing at the time, but they're still really really good at cybersecurity, just different cybersecurity. So and that you know that harks back to the whole thing about this this man made science being absolutely massive. Yeah, it's just a it's a crazy thing we're on, and it kind of explains why we have mission oriented people that are willing to to run into this complexity because you know they they feel the impact and it's it's the right thing to do. So I have um, one item. It's nice and nerdy, and it's right up my right up my alley. 
So for those of you not aware, this is really important. So in fact, if you're sort of if you sort of dozed off a little bit, um, wake up because this is incredibly important. So towards the end of this year, um, we'll be making some updates across Azure in the uh, root certificates that we use for TLS. So I think right now uh, across Azure, uh, every certificate chains back to a Baltimore Cybertrust root. We're going to be expanding that to include things like DigiCert Global Root and DTrust Root, as well as a couple of others. Now, the odds are really good that this won't impact you at all. Um, however, if you're using certificate pinning, you might you might run into problems. So I'm going to put a, a link in the show notes, but please um, make sure you take a look at it and uh, make sure that your code um, you know, isn't using things like certificate pending and restricting you know, the routes that you're, you're using. Another example actually in Windows is a thing called CTLs, um, Certificate Trust Lists. So you may have a dozen routes installed on a machine and you may say, may say I, only, you know, I only want to trust two. And that's a certificate trust list. And that, by the way, certificate trust lists in Windows have been around forever. Um, they way, way predate pinning. But yeah, if you're using things like CTLs or pinning, you might run into a problem. So please, you know, have a look at your code or your systems. Make sure that you're not restricting yourself just to the Baltimore CyberTrust root um, CA certificate. Because if you do that, then you know the application might not work um, in the future. So so please go ahead and check your applications. All right. So now we've got the news out of the way. Let's um, move our attention to our guest. Um, this week we have. Uh, Safina, who's here to talk to us about uh, Microsoft Defender for Cloud. So as I've already mentioned, uh, when we're sort of in the green room chatting, I mean, we've already had Yuri, uh, Yuri Diogenes uh, on the podcast twice to talk about Defender for Cloud. So Safina's here to talk, talk to us about Defender for Cloud, but from a slightly different perspective. So Safina, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, would you like to take a moment and sort of introduce yourself to our guests, because sort of what you do, and uh, then let's get stuck into this. Absolutely, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here and contributing and collaborating with these amazing bunch of people. And happy to talk about Microsoft Defender for Cloud with an emphasis of uh, multi-cloud functionality that Defender for Cloud offers. Uh, before that, I just want to introduce myself. I'm a program manager at Microsoft Cybersecurity Engineering. I'm focused on Microsoft Defender for Cloud product here. I've been with Microsoft for 15 years in several roles and now doing what I love the most, cybersecurity. Um, to be specific, what I do at Microsoft is helping organizations prevent pre-attacks. Um, yeah, in one line. So um, here, I'm here to talk about Microsoft Defender for Cloud. So I'm sure you might already know about Microsoft Defender for Cloud from the earlier podcast that Yuri Diogenes uh, uh, did. But just to give you a bit of overview for the new audiences that we have here, uh, Microsoft Defender for Cloud covers uh, the two main broad pillars of cloud security, which is uh, cloud security posture management and cloud workload platform protection, which we often call it as CSPM and CWPP um, offerings. And uh, this coverage is for all of your Azure, on-prem, and multi-cloud resources, uh, uh, which we will uh, deep dive into it uh, a bit later. Uh, but uh, just to give you a background of what cloud security posture management feature does is it 
assesses the resources that you have onboarded to Azure and helps you uh, secure configuration of the resources by providing you recommendations if there are any misconfigurations on the resources that you or your organizational uh, people have spun up, right? Uh, and the security posture of your resources is actually assessed by a defined set of security controls, which make up to the secure score of an organization. So you'll receive a specific uh, secure score based on the misconfigurations that Defender for Cloud as a product identifies. Uh, now, you might be thinking what policy Defender for Cloud uses in order to assess this uh, connected resources and provide guidance to you. Um, you know, when you enable Defender for Cloud in your environment, you're assigned a policy called Azure Security Benchmark. And that's the standard we use in order to assess your connected resources. And uh, we compare it with the guidance in Azure Security Benchmark. And we uh, provide you recommendations within the dashboard uh, if there are any misconfigurations that we identify, um, you know, in your, in your organizational environment. And then you can use the score to understand your security posture, how you're doing in terms of the score and what are the misconfigurations that you have to remediate and so on. There's a, there's a whole list of, uh, uh, you know, uh, articles that we have posted in our TechNet community as well as in our Microsoft documentation, which I would recommend you to uh, review it in order to check how to remediate any recommendation. Um, now, this is about secure score, but I wanted to touch upon one other uh, area, which is which Defender for Cloud offers is uh, it, it has a, also a capability that it continuously compares the configuration of your resources with the requirements in the industry standards, regulations, and benchmark. Like, for example, many organizations may want to be compliant with NIST, uh, with CIS benchmarks, or any other organizational specific security requirements. So you can find all of these standards and many of these standards in Defender for Cloud dashboard that you can assign to your subscriptions and you can measure compliance to understand if you are meeting specific compliance requirements or not. And, uh, and you know, uh, if there are any misconfigurations, again, Defender for Cloud is going to show you in the dashboard and so on. So that's the CSPM part Defender for Cloud offers. Yeah, I just want to make sure that everyone sort of, sort of understand, understands this. So the NIST controls, that's NIST SPA 800-53, right? That's right. So everyone just needs to be aware that we're only talking about the technical controls here, right? We're not talking about things like, you know, what your policies are around hiring people and where the locks are on the doors and that sort of stuff. Um, but with that being said, it's incredibly important that people understand that you may have all your technical controls in place, but you can also read the NIST SP 800-53 and all the other various audits that we've had against Azure so you can see what we're doing. Because remember, it's a whole shared responsibility model, right? The stuff that the, the, the tenant has to do and the stuff that, that Azure does. And um, it's incredibly important that you know, when you're talking about compliance, you've got to really look at, look at both. And uh, But we make those available through independent audits that are available. So... One thing you touched on briefly, which I think you know is the is going to be the goal of this uh, or the subject, I should say, of this of this podcast, is um, is basically multi-cloud, mm -hmm. right? So this is something that's really cool because I think I know Mark and Gladys can sort of back me up on this one, but you know, certainly every single customer I've ever spoken to 
ever, with the exception of maybe one or two, maybe a multi-cloud. You know, a lot of customers I work with will be on, you know, on Azure and say AWS, uh, for example, for various reasons. So there was a large company I was working with, a large uh, finance company, one of the largest in the U.S., and they had a, a policy of rolling out on Azure and rolling out on AWS. And um, they made the judgments as to which environment they were going to deploy on based on certain criteria. I don't actually know what those criteria were, but they ended up with a you know an approximately 50-50 split across the two. So having something like Microsoft Defender for Cloud being multi-cloud, I think, is is one, you know, fascinating. And two, probably something a lot of customers have uh, you know would really find a great deal of use uh, use of. So can you just sort of explain briefly like what that means, like what it entails and sort of how it ends up sort of looking in the real world? Like, what does it look like? I mean, what do you what do you do? What do you end, you end up with a single dashboard? Do you have a whole bunch of dashboards? I, I have no clue, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's a great question, yeah. Uh, the whole point of us providing multi-cloud functionality is so that customers have a single pane of glass to look at all the environments, be it Azure, on-prem, uh, you know, multi-cloud, uh, AWS, or GCP. Um, I, uh, you know, I briefly want to talk about uh, cloud workload platform protection as well, because that's uh, that's one of the things that I specified. Uh, just want to make sure everybody understands that Defender for Cloud comes with the capability of threat detection and protection to your workloads as well. Uh, so just want to uh, leave that uh, here. That's uh, CWPP, Cloud Workload Platform Protection, the Defender for Cloud offers. Now, talking about multi-cloud, uh, so uh, like you rightly said, Michael, uh, with cloud workloads commonly spanning multi Multiple cloud platforms, uh, cloud security services must do the same, right? So with that idea, we introduce the protection towards AWS and GCP workloads as well, where you can protect your AWS-based resources. Um, all you do is you connect your AWS account to an Azure subscription, and then you enable the protection plans that we offer. We offer a number of protection plans today that uh, I'll speak about. So like you said, Michael, uh, you can have, uh, you know, within the Defender for Cloud, the moment you connect your AWS account, you know, you today you have capability where you can connect either your organizational account uh, or a management group account. You know, when you do that, all the AWS accounts will automatically be connected to Defender for Cloud. And when you do that, you will notice in a single dashboard, which is in the Defender for Cloud dashboard itself, where you see recommendations today for Azure and on-prem, you'll start seeing for the multi-cloud functionalities as well, like AWS or GCP, depending on what you've connected. Yeah, so it's it's as simple as that. We try to make the onboarding uh, as simple as possible. So all you do is uh, connecting your AWS account uh, and giving permissions to that particular account uh, to access uh, the you know the resources from the Defender cl for Cloud perspective. Uh, there are some prerequisites uh, that you'll have to follow, which is documented within our uh, documentation page. Uh, um, you know where you need to have access to the AWS account to start with. 
and then uh, we offer different plans uh, uh, within uh, within this uh, particular offering uh, so defender for clouds uh, cloud security posture management features extends the the features that i spoke about earlier in this uh, podcast uh, it it all extends uh, uh, to your aws resources and the great part is this is an agentless plan that uh, you know assesses your aws resources according to the aws specific security recommendations uh, so you don't have to really install an agent or something as long as you know you have a when you install the connector um, you know you'll be able to uh, you are actually granting permissions to that connector to be able to access uh, this this particular account so when you do that the resources will be assessed for compliance with the uh, built-in standards specific to AWS. Uh, like, for example, we have number of compliance uh, um, compliance standards that we have available within Defender for Cloud dashboard that you can see under regulatory compliance, which is AWS CIS, PCI, uh, and AWS foundational best practices that you can view. Yeah, the... So you mentioned, like, the, the agent and the agent list and the account connection. I mean, is that Azure Arc? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, for every AWS machine connected to Azure with Azure Arc enabled servers, in those scenarios, you would need Azure Arc. If you are not connecting your AWS uh, VMs to Azure, to Defender for Cloud, in those scenarios, you don't even require Azure Arc. So when you are, I guess, uh, installing or, or enabling uh, Defender for Cloud, and I'm asking this because another a customer that I was talking to um, last week had similar question. When you install Azure Arc, there's modules that get approved uh, for, for them to install, so like uh, Defender for Cloud or Defender for Endpoint or whatever. Is that correct? Yeah, so uh, to give you a background uh, of Azure Arc, right? Azure Arc uh, lets you manage your Windows and Linux uh, physical servers and even virtual machines that is hosted outside of Azure on your corporate network. And, uh, you know, that using Azure Arc capability, you can connect your hybrid machines. You can install, all you do is you install the Azure connected machine agent on each machine. And uh, this agent doesn't really do anything like it doesn't replace the Azure uh, Azure log analytics agent or Azure monitor agents that we have but all it does is it helps you connect your hybrid machines uh, to Azure with the help of which you know you can proactively monitor the OS and the workloads that's running on the machine you can manage it using automation workbooks and and manage it using defender for cloud so even for the AWS uh, uh, scenario here. Uh, so if you if you want to connect an AWS EC2 instance to uh, Defender for Cloud, in those scenarios, you will be using Azure Arc. And uh, you know, if you don't want to create an AWS EC2 instance, you don't have to really use Azure Arc, and you won't be charged for that machine. But the permissions that we get when you actually uh, connect the connector through Defender for Cloud dashboard, that itself is enough to be able to monitor the virtual machines that you have on uh, AWS 
consoles and uh, and you know we use uh, AWS system manager agent in the backend in order to be able to analyze uh, how your virtual machines are doing and so on and 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 defender for cloud will provide you recommendations based on that so i know that in the past People used to install um, the log analytics um, agent in order to get data into Defender for Cloud. If once you change it uh, through Arc, how does that change, and how uh, what capability is enabled uh, when when you're managing uh, multi-cloud? That's a great question. Uh, so if you have used Azure Arc uh, and if you want to enable uh, Azure Arc connected machines to Defender for Cloud, Log Analytics Agent is still required. A Log Analytics Agent on Azure Arc machines and that is to ensure that the selected workspace has security solution installed. And then the Log Analytics Agent, uh, uh, you know, you can configure it at the subscription level and all of your multi-cloud AWS and GCP projects, depending on what you have connected under some under the same subscriptions, will inherit the subscription settings. And, uh, you know, we do have a functionality called auto-provisioning as well. Uh, that's a super cool feature that we have. Um, uh, auto-provisioning will install the necessary agents and uh, extensions that is used by Defender for Cloud to your resources. Like, for example, we might require a log analytics agent. If you have Azure Arc machines, uh, it automatically uh, installs the log analytics agent the moment you have auto-provisioning button enabled and that's for free of charge it's generally available for you and depending on what extension is required for which machine you know it 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 actually helps reduce you know management overhead uh, you don't have to specifically go to the machines and install all the required agent and extensions right uh, so a defender for cloud analyzes it and just does it by default all the capabilities once you go through a multi multi cloud arc mm-hmm. between AWS and uh, Azure and GCP, all the capabilities work similarly. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, like I said, the cloud security posture management feature is for free, which means we review the AWS and GCP environment, just like how we review the Azure environment, right? We review the resources if and it finds if there are any misconfigurations, it is able to provide you a secure score as well for AWS and GCP. So we have a, in the in the Defender for Cloud dashboard, there is a really good toggle that we have, you know, Know where you can just see Azure score or AWS score or GCP score, depending on what you're interested in. That kind of makes it more clear to understand, you know, how you're doing in different cloud environments, uh, how secure you are, and so on, right? So all the capabilities follows. In Azure, we do have a number of Defender plans, Defender coverage, um, like Defender for servers, Defender for SQL containers, and and many more, right? But uh, for multi-cloud functionality, we do have today uh, three plans uh, that are in, that you could enable. You can enable Defender for Containers plan uh, if you want to monitor your EKS cluster. Um, which will, you know, uh, Defender for. I'm sure you might have used Defender for Kubernetes plan in Azure. It 
it's the same it extends its container threat detection and advanced defend uh, advanced defenses to your amazon eks uh, linux clusters and we have uh, defender for servers offering as well for multi cloud uh, that brings threat detection and advanced defenses to your windows and linux ec2 instances and this plan includes uh, integrated license for defender for endpoint uh, which is super cool actually because you can get the security baselines and os level assessments and vulnerability scanning and whatnot just like how you've been getting it for azure uh, resources so far you can get the same functionality with defender for servers offering um, you know uh, with uh, with for aws and gcp workloads as well we also include uh, vulnerability assessment solutions for your virtual machines and for container uh, registries. Uh, and we also have a SQL plan uh, available where it brings the threat detection and defenses for your SQL servers running on AWS EC2, uh, AWS RDS, custom for SQL server, and so on. Um, though I just spoke about AWS now, but all of this is applicable for GCP as well. We have the same capabilities uh, uh, that we offer for GCP workloads as well. This is really cool. So, I mean, in the user interface, is it does it look like it's one thing or does it look like we're dealing with three totally separate things? I mean, I'm sure everyone on this on this session would agree that you know customers prefer something that's a little bit sort of you know homogenous and sort of looks like you're dealing with the same thing. So does it look that way? I mean, does it look like it's a... You know, I'm looking at my AWS stuff and my Azure stuff and my GCP stuff all in sort of one homogenous environment or does it look like it's bolted on? It's actually uh, all integrated into one single dashboard. Uh, so uh, if you have looked at Defender for Cloud dashboard and if you have looked at recommendations until now, you know, you would see all the Azure recommendations under the recommendations blade, right? So now once you have AWS or GCP account connected, you will start seeing the AWS and GCP recommendations in the same place, uh, just right next to the Azure. And that's that's why we have this toggle as well. You know, you could pick and choose to see uh, what recommendations do you want to see and whether AWS or GCP, the moment you click on AWS or GCP, it will reload uh, uh, the pane. So the broad approach here brings Defender for Cloud closer to being the single pane of glass for all of your security, cloud security efforts, uh, AWS, GCP, on-prem or, um, you know, Azure. That's really nice. That's and I, and I think you summed it up nice, nicely there with the single pane of glass. I think that's uh, that's really that's really really cool. So there's obviously a lot of engineering gone into that, but it's uh, you know we've hidden a lot of the complexities um, of this, which is which is cool. And the fact that it's agentless as well, I think, is uh, is really exciting too, because people just don't want to start having to manage one. You know, they're not just managing AWS; they're managing a whole set of other agents. But now they don't have to do that because there is no agents. So that's um, that's a really, really good design thing as well. Absolutely. Um, cost. We've got to ask that question. What about the cost? So the cloud security posture management feature uh, is free. Uh, but if you are looking for additional plans that we offer, like I just mentioned, uh, Defender for SQL or Defender for uh, containers or uh, Defender for servers. So for Defender for SQL, the plan is billed at the same price as the top uh, Azure resources. Like, for example, for Defender for SQL, we we, we 
we have uh, uh, we bill a couple of uh, dollars uh, you know for every sql machine so it's it's going to be the same price as that of the azure resources uh, i also spoke about the plan that we offer defender for containers right um, that plan is in preview at the moment so it's free during preview uh, but after which it will be billed for aws at the same price as that of the azure resources uh, but uh, uh, for every AWS machine connected to Azure with Azure Arc enabled servers, Defender for Server plans is billed at the same price as that of the Microsoft Defender for Server plan for Azure machines. But if uh, an AWS EC2 doesn't require an Azure Arc agent, then you won't be charged for that machine whatsoever. I want to talk about the automation piece. Uh, so um, when when there is a threat, it is important for you to identify it at the right time. And, and it's more critical to act upon it immediately before it passes to the next phase of cybersecurity kill chain, right? And uh, that's where automations will help. And automation, like I'm sure you understand that it reduces the overhead to a lot of extent. So Defender for Cloud has this capability where you can take help of the logic apps on on, uh, security alerts on recommendations and changes to the regulatory compliance. So for example, you might want Defender for Cloud to send an email to a specific user when an alert occurs. Uh, you know, even further, you, you might want Defender for Cloud to automatically act upon the alert before it causes a harm to the organization. All of this and much more is possible through Defender for Cloud. Um, you know, we have a, a GitHub repository where me and my team work on uh, publishing the automations with the help of logic apps, with the help of workbooks uh, uh, that we have, uh, you know, um, just so that we can help you um, you know, uh, reduce the overhead of uh, to remediate a recommendation or remediation um, to help you with the remediation. And uh, we do have a quick fix capability uh, that you have probably used in Azure, and that continues for the uh, for the multi cloud functionality as well. The quick fix will help you. Um, quickly fix a specific misconfiguration that Defender for Cloud is reporting. And uh, we also are very transparent in terms of the logic, like what's what's the logic that we are running behind, uh, you know, when you click on that quick fix button, what is happening in the backend, you can see all the logic right on the dashboard itself. Yeah, like one of the things I was kind of curious about is, you know, and I've got some opinions on this, but I'm I'm curious who you're seeing is using Defender for Cloud. Are you seeing because uh, like you know, there's a there's the Defender, uh, excuse me, there's the um like the engineers and the architects and whatnot that are like kind of designing the preventive controls. There's like security operations that has to consume the alerts, um, but like who's kind of working with it to make sure that hey, the teams are actually applying the fixes, improving their their score and compliance status, et cetera. Is this is this like a governance team? Is this like a patch management vulnerability scanning team? Because like we we start to we're starting to see some of those merge. But I'm curious what you're seeing, you know, um, as far as uses of the console. Uh, we work with number of customers, uh, right? So um, all the customers that we work with uh, are are wide range of people with 
the some of them are security architects some of them are patch management people so uh, like uh, like you know defender for cloud offers protection towards various workloads uh, so there are several teams that act that actually use defender for cloud to understand how they are doing in terms of their own uh, technology that they own like sql or kubernetes or containers and so on and so forth right so security architects cisos um, you know um, there are there are a lot of security teams that we work with day in and day out of whom we help uh, assess these misconfigurations and help remediate you know we actually struggle with that when we were writing designing and developing secure as your solutions because originally we were going to actually have a chapter just on Defender for Cloud, and in the end, we ended up not doing it. Instead, what we did is we sprinkled Defender for Cloud information, often as side, you know, sort of sidebars, in almost every chapter. Um, and we think that actually worked better because it was sort of like, you know, here's an area that you need to be cognizant of when you when you're building secure solutions. Oh, and by the way, here's how uh, Microsoft Defender for Cloud can help provide, you know, can can help fill this this little gap. Um, and so we, we felt that that was actually much more appropriate, a uh, much better way of a sort of uh, involving Defender for cloud information. And I don't know, the, to be honest with you, I don't actually know how to answer your question, Mark. I, I think everyone needs to be aware of it. Uh, that's just my, my two cents. Yeah. Yeah, because one of the things we've seen on sort of the, the leading edge organizations, which we, we captured into the CISO workshop, actually, was I feel like there's this missing posture management team, sort of like a, a sister function to security operations. Because security operations is their, you know, they're the firefighters, right? You know, something's bad, the attacker's here, and that's their top focus. It has to be that. Um, but there's also this need for an operational team that's like actively engaging on a day-to-day basis that's fixing your preventive controls and fixing your gaps in visibility, sort of like an active part of governance. And so it's kind of a leading question, so I hope, I hope you don't mind that. But ultimately, we're seeing this need for a team that we probably should have created 20 years ago um, that's actually working on that and saying, hey, you know, asset owners, servers owners, you know, container owners, you know, do you need help? Like, we're seeing that your numbers are going down or going up. And, you know, what do you need to do to be successful? And we've got some experts here for you, some of which we probably recruited from your teams that, you know, are passionate about security and helping you get your stuff secure. Like it's 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 been sort of like a, a unicorn or a volunteer effort in some organizations to make this happen, but it really needs to be an actual function with you know people dedicated to it, et cetera. Because the SOC's never going to do a good job of that. Um, and you know people that are gold on getting new stuff out, you know they're not particularly incented to do that. And so it's just sort of an you know an interesting thing that we're we're starting to see form up in a few a few customers. Well, actually, Mark, you and I have spoken about this. You know, with mm-hmm. I was working with an insurance company, and yep. they ended up having a small number of people. Sort of part of their day job was essentially handling secure score um, going up, you know, and also preventing it from going down. You know, as <laughs> um, you know, as new new checks came online, because you know, as you said to them, I said, if you guys like just roll out. Defender for Cloud and your secure score is, you know, your secure is, I don't know, say 76. If you leave it alone, you know, in a few weeks, it'll be down to 60 because we're going to roll out new checks. So someone needs to be tasked with making sure that they're keeping track of what's coming down the pike. So, uh, so yeah, I think someone, I think you're absolutely right. I think someone needs to be dedicated to looking after this. And it can't be 
the traditional approach that you know we typically see of a vulnerability team, which is what I like to call scan and shame. Right, we're not here to just make you feel bad. We're actually here to help. Like genuinely, like, yeah, we have reports and all that, just like everybody else can look at the dashboard. But if you need help and you've never done this and you need best practices and you need tooling or you need someone to tell your management that this is important or whatever it is, like you need a team that's doing that and helping, not just telling you you suck. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, And I think, yeah, I agree 100%. And in fact, to that point, it's not just knowledge of Defender for Cloud and Secure Score. It's also the knowledge that's required in, say, you know, containers or SQL or whatever you're monitoring, storage, you know, whatever you're monitoring, right? Those, those skills need to be rolled into it as well. So I realize we're probably, getting, we're probably continuing the whole philosophical aspect, which is fine. It's contagious. It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Safina, well, I think let's, uh, let's bring this thing to an end. Um, so one thing we always ask our guests is if you had one thought to leave our listeners with, uh, what would it be? Yeah, so um, I would want our listeners to go ahead and deploy Defender for Cloud. Uh, When you start deploying Defender for Cloud, it's for free to start with. Like I said, uh, if you are deploying AWS or GCP or just for the Azure environments, the cloud security posture management is free. So go ahead and deploy it and and you can see the benefit that you receive from Defender for Cloud. And then once you're satisfied, you 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 can go ahead and enable the additional plans like Defender for SQL, Defender for Kubernetes and whatnot, right, that we have. And and make benefit out of it. And like Mark mentioned, it's not that one person who actually should be uh, responsible to look at the secure score. It's the whole team, whole organization that needs to really look at the secure score, uh, see the misconfigurations and to be able to resolve it uh, as soon as possible before it actually passes down to the whole organization. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's bring this thing to an end. So, Safina, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, I know you're very busy and uh, no, Microsoft Defender for Cloud is a uh, yeah, hugely important product so I appreciate you taking the time um, t- taking the time with us. Thanks for having me. It's great to speak to you guys. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. Um, and to our listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, take care and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.